Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello everyone, and welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood. For this episode, we are back in the studio at 70s TV Childhood Towers after our remote broadcasting experiment last time. It's great to be back, and I have to say I'm feeling great and full of energy having recovered from my recent bout of COVID. There is still a lot of it about though, so my thoughts are still with all of those who are suffering and the health professionals doing their best to help them. As usual, thank you for all your comments. It really does make me feel that this podcast is worthwhile when I hear from you, even if it's putting me right where I've misremembered events or TV shows. As I have often said, I try to do all of this from memory where I can, so it's inevitable that mistakes will crop up. It's also great that we are picking up new listeners from around the world all the time, and a number of you have been binge listening to past episodes to catch up. If you are doing that, then well done and thank you, but I would stress that you should be able to dive into any episode without having listened to previous ones and still get some pleasure from them. If you are a new listener, don't forget you can subscribe on your usual podcast provider and that way you'll never miss an episode in the future. If you do want to share your memories or have comments on anything we've discussed in this or previous episodes, you can do so at our blog. It's at www.my70stvchildhood.com. You can tweet at 70stvchildhood or email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. I'm also delighted to say that we're now on Facebook at my70stvchildhood. So take a look at our page and tell me what you think. Now, in a personal capacity, I've had a couple of rather worrying emails this week. The reason they are worrying is that they're trying to sell me Christmas-related things, like cards and 2022 calendars. And I've also had hotels and restaurants, whose mailing lists I happen to be on, berating me that if I don't book my Christmas break or lunch or team dinner, that I won't get them. I've just come back from my summer holidays, so the last thing I want to do is to think about Christmas. When I was a child, Christmas talk and speculation was only allowed to begin after bonfire night on November the 5th. Uh, For our younger and overseas listeners, that's sort of just after Halloween. Um, Now, I know that might make me sound rather like Scrooge, but we seem to spend so much of our time as a society on the pursuit of material things, whether it be cars or houses or, or Christmas dinners for that case. My memory from childhood is that we were not such a materialistic society. But does that bear closer scrutiny? As usual, I'd wager that our television consumption can shine a light on this. Looking at this week's TV schedules, they're full of shows where the central premise is making money. Whether it's the house auction show, Homes Under the Hammer, or the numerous antique space shows like Bargain Hunt, Cash in the Attic and Flog It!, We seem to have moved on from a time where we collected treasures objects 
to a place where everything can be turned around for a fast profit. Why do we think it's so clever to barter the price of an antique letter opener with a dealer down to £5 less than it was advertised for, and then to sell it on for £20 profit? I don't get it. And I think it demonstrates that we all have far too many possessions and need very little more. Even the supposedly more upmarket Antiques Roadshow with the vulpine Fiona Bruce relies on the valuation as the big payoff for the audience. Now, the television audience, and the live audience for that matter, likes nothing better than discovering what looks like a piece of old tat. It's actually a Ming vase worth £250,000. We also love it as well when the snooty owner of what he or she thinks is a masterpiece is told that it's basically a cheap rip-off and worth a tenner on a car boot sale if they're lucky. I was out for a walk this afternoon and went past a house in our village which has recently been sold and I saw that the new occupants were putting in a new kitchen to replace the one left by the previous occupant who had it fitted when she moved in three years ago. How crazy is that? When I was growing up as a child in the 1970s, I don't remember ever having a new kitchen or bathroom, and most of our furniture had come from relatives who had passed it to my parents after they'd got married. No Ikea in those days, I suppose. But seriously, the throwaway nature of our society is quite the opposite to the frugality of previous generations. Given our increasing focus on recycling and protecting the environment... I wonder how long it will be before the trendsetters decide that recycling furniture is a good idea. As it is, some of us have never stopped. Anyway, rant over. But what that did do was to put me in mind of one of my childhood obsessions. Collecting things. When I was a young child, we were always being encouraged to have hobbies in our spare time. And many hobbies were centred on collecting things. I was a great collector of many things as a child. My wife is thankful I'm not like this anymore, limiting my collections to books and wristwatches. But as a child, there were things to be collected everywhere. My earliest memories of collections were the small figures and badges that you got from Robinson's Golden Shred Marmalade. Now, the figures themselves are somewhat controversial these days, but my Auntie Elsie used to save the tokens from the jars and send off for the figures one at a time. As previous listeners may remember, this is actually my father's aunt, so my great-aunt in reality, but known as Auntie Elsie to the whole family. This is also the same Auntie Elsie, who I previously mentioned, who saved PG Tips tea cards for me and my sister. Now, the most exciting place for collecting things in the 1970s was the petrol station. No, really, the petrol station. The things you were able to collect there were pretty impressive. I had a full set of 1970s metallic football club badges stuck onto a special presentation card from Esso as part of the FA Cup centenary celebrations of 1972. And there was also an accompanying coin collection and presentation folder. I think I still have the badges somewhere. I cannot underestimate the excitement I felt when my father came back from paying for his petrol and handed me two or three packets of badges or coins. And all of that is before we even mention glasses. An iconic feature of British 1970s life was the petrol station glass collection. All of the major brands did it, and, very simply, 
you collected tokens every time you filled up, which could then be converted into glasses. Our glasses cupboard at home had several sets of tumblers, beer tankards, and assorted drinking vessels, all courtesy of the petrol companies. As a child, the regular petrol shortages we experienced in this country were only significant to me in that they slowed down completing the latest glass connection for the likes of National Benzol, a now long-defunct forecourt brand. I went through various phases of collecting as the 70s progressed, and I was actively encouraged by television to do so. Programmes like Blue Peter shared stories of children with exceptional collections of all kinds of different things, some more interesting than others. I do remember an item featuring a boy from Aberdeen who claimed to have the largest collection of light bulbs in the world which he brought along to the studio, where John Noakes and Leslie Judd got very excited about the different sized bulbs, and presented the wee Amadonian collector with an enormous bulb from a BBC studio spotlight as an addition to his collection. What larks. I think we were very easily entertained in those days. Moving on from just collecting things for the sake of it, I, like many others, then ventured into the world of models, And by that, I'm not talking about catwalks and Paris, rather the shop down the road frequented by small boys and train-set-obsessed middle-aged men, which sold all kinds of models from small airfix kits of aeroplanes and ships up to enormously complicated Meccano sets and every variety of train set you could possibly think of. There was a great model shop quite close to our house, run by a rather eccentric but totally dedicated owner. I used to spend hours looking in the windows. And then, once I plucked up the courage and had saved enough pocket money, I'd go in and decide which model I wanted to buy next and what glue and paint I needed to put it all together. Unfortunately, I wasn't always very patient with my attempts at modelling. And some of my early attempts at Spitfires and Messerschmitts were a bit cack-handed. And they often had bits of Hummel plastic cement hanging off the edges. Um, and paint daubed too heavily so that it obstructed the pilot's view from the cockpit. But thankfully for me, help was at hand from the BBC and the wonderful presenter, Bob Symes. thinking that you'll never be able to make models like the ones we've just seen auctioned at Christie's. But believe me, every one of those chaps who made one of those models at some stage of his career was a raw beginner. And it's the beginner this series of programmes is aimed at. So if you've never made anything at all, we'd like you to have a go and make something. Model World was a perfect programme for a pre-teen prospective model maker. 
Bob Symes was an incredibly genial and patient host, and was rather like a jolly off-duty Father Christmas. He was, as that last clip shows, very amiable, and genuinely seemed like he wanted every viewer to make a good model. The show used to be on on a Saturday morning, so plenty of inspiration for a trip to the model shop later, and often handy tips for making your ordinary efforts kits a little more exciting. The only downside was that my mother wouldn't let me have the craft knife needed to make my airfix kits a little more exciting uh, when I was age seven. She, quite correctly, could only see that ending in tears one way or another. And there was also a long-running show specifically aimed at getting you away from the TV altogether. Why Don't You, to give it its shorter name, ran from August 1973 through every school holiday until April 1995, when I guess they finally ran out of ideas to keep us occupied during the school holidays. I used to watch the show, but from what I remember, it never made me actually want to do anything other than carry on watching TV. Every episode contained ideas for games and hobbies sent in by viewers, which unfortunately were incredibly dull in many cases. For example, why don't you start collecting postmarks from used envelopes? Well, even age seven or eight, I could see that collecting postmarks wasn't going to be my life's passion. I think the only hobby it did successfully promote and encourage was that of writing incredibly dull letters into a kid's TV show, hoping that their ludicrous ideas would actually be broadcast to a grateful audience. My collections continued to grow during the 1970s and included comics of various kinds. As I've mentioned in a previous episode, my large collection of shoot football magazines from the 1970s proved to be worthless, as did my large collection of bubblegum football cards and I Spy books. But unlike today, I wasn't collecting them for financial gain. I was collecting as a hobby and reading the stats off the back of a Topps football card was fascinating for a young football fan. I have to confess, I do still collect Panini World Cup stickers every four years, but nowadays I do find it harder to find anyone to do swaps with. And finally, the show which I think demonstrates best the huge gulf in where we were in the 70s compared to today in terms of possessions brings us back to antiques. Welcome again to Going for a Song, and once again we've got for you not only interesting things, but interesting people, and first of all we meet a man who says he makes a point of not collecting antiques because he lives in a glass house, trumpeter extraordinary Humphrey Littleton. Hello. And uh, taking him on, on the other side, is somebody who's interested in Victoriana, Joyce Blair. Good afternoon. And we welcome back on the specialist side here, a man who knows about all sorts of extraordinary things, Roger Warner. 
No. And if he should fail, well, there's Arthur, who has a wide range of knowledge as well. Arthur Hello. Hello. So let's have our first object, please. And now for viewers at home only, this flintlock pistol mounted with a silver crown is a tipstaff. Tipstaffs were used as a symbol of authority to make an arrest. The maker's mark on the silver is that of R and S Henel, whose name also appears on the pistol. The silver has the London hallmark for 1814. Arthur Negus became synonymous with going for a song, and also the friendly face of the antiques trade. The rules of the show were very straightforward. Identify the antique, and then guess what it might sell for at auction. No questions of valuations or a gasping crowd desperate to learn what something's worth. Just an easygoing panel show aimed at showing viewers some interesting things. Arthur Negus didn't appear on television until he was 62 in 1965 and rapidly became a household name, largely due to his friendly face and his slow West Country accented way of speaking. As the resident expert on the show, Arthur gently guided the panellists in the right direction and always had a solo spot explaining something interesting about the antiques trade. No red teams or blue teams, no cash in the attic, and especially no focus on turning a quick profit. Whilst Negus did go on to appear on Antiques Roadshow from its debut in 1979 until his death in 1985, I will always remember him much more fondly for going for a song, which was perfect Sunday afternoon family viewing. That, in itself, was priceless. you have a collection of things as a child growing up in the 1970s? Or were you inspired to switch off your television set and go and do something less boring instead? Or, or did you even provide a suggestion of a new game or hobby to Why Don't You? Let me know at www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweet at 70stvchildhood, leave a comment on our Facebook page at my70stvchildhood, or you can email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Well, that's it for now. Take care and hope you'll join me again soon for more from my 70s TV childhood. <laughs>